The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 18 and can be found on page 985 in the Bible in front of you. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, starting at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, Truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, and whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sarah, for, for reading for us. And please keep that open in front of you, and I'll lead us in a short prayer. Um, our Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son, the Lord Jesus, and thank you for these words in this chapter. And as we look at them over uh, the coming weeks, please speak to us in such a way that we will be drawn to him with faith and obedience and love. We ask it in his name. Amen. And now, true story. Uh, back in 1983, rural Canada, uh, there was two boys who were uh, out playing uh, one evening. I, they were on their bikes, as I understand it, and they were near a kind of old, what would be a disused kind of airstrip that, that local uh, teenagers and others used to use for, for driving cars on. And while they were there in the evening, a jumbo jet came flying overhead at 200 miles an hour and crash-landed onto this, this old runway. And it seems the reason for it was because Air Canada at that point had changed how they measured fuel for their planes from pounds, pounds in weight, to kilograms. Uh, Flight 143 uh, with Air Canada was going to be going from Montreal to Edmonton and it needed 20,000 pounds of fuel to make the flight which works out roughly at about 9,000 kilograms. I know some of you are really good with maths, and you probably know this, and it's not quite that, but it's roughly, roughly that, um, 9,000 kilograms uh, of fuel. But someone made a mistake. And what they loaded onto the plane was only 9,000 pounds of fuel, not 9,000 kilograms. So less than half what would be needed. The plane took off. Uh, thinking it was well loaded. And the, the first indication that something was wrong was a little fuel warning light came on. Uh, and the pilots contacted air traffic control and they said, oh, it's probably a problem with the pump, but don't worry, there's enough weight in the fuel. That will keep pushing things through, so you'll be okay. Uh, towards halfway in the flight, the left engine stopped, just putted out and stopped. That's a concern, isn't it? Um, and the pilots prepared for what they were trained for, which was an emergency landing just on one engine. And as they were getting ready for this, a couple of minutes later, the second engine stopped completely. Uh, there's no power for the plane. 
the electrics and everything go off, it's in dark, and uh, this vast metal plane became known as the, the Gimli Glider. I didn't know this, apparently planes at that time had a little thing, probably still do today, a little turbine that comes out. Uh, and the wind generates some electricity, so the electrics uh, came on. But that's what happened. Halfway through the flight, at 40,000 feet, it becomes the Gimli Glider with 61 passengers and eight crew on it. And unbelievably, the zero, uh, there were zero casualties uh, when it landed. Uh, if you want to see a picture of it, here it is. Just so you know, I'm not making it up. It landed like that on the runway. Incredible, isn't it? Those of you who are already nervous flyers, you're thinking, yes, this is exactly the thing I can imagine happening all the time. Uh, but that is to say, it is important at times, isn't it, how you measure things. Measuring stuff properly uh, is important often. And on Sunday mornings, look, we're going to be thinking about measuring something. We're going to be thinking about measuring another thing, measuring Greatness. How do you measure that? How, how do you measure uh, greatness? It, we're surrounded by the greats and greatness all the time, aren't we? Later this month, I'm sure some of you will start watching the Great British Bake Off. For you, the autumn will be all focaccio, pancetta, or pancetta focaccio, whatever that is, and key lime pie, and it will be great. You'll love it. You'll be doing those kind of things. For others, it's movies. You love great actors. Maybe there's films you've seen. Maybe it's the Oscars. You look forward to next year. You love the Oscars, seeing the greats of Hollywood. Who is it? There's an actor some time back that said, uh, there's, people enjoy, nothing helps people more in these hard economic times than watching millionaires give little golden statues to each other. But you, you get that kind of thing, isn't it? For some of you, it's the movies. You love the movie greats. Or it's sports. The lionesses, we're great this summer. We're drawn to greatness all the time. We love it. And it's interesting that, that Jesus doesn't seem to think that's wrong. A, a desire for greatness seems to be wired into us. But I think he would say, and we'll see in this chapter over these next few weeks, that he also says we're often not very good at recognizing or measuring true greatness. And here in Matthew 18, if you've got this chapter open in front of you, the subject comes up within this context of a church family. What does it mean to be a great Christian? What does it mean to be a great church family? That's verse 1, isn't it? If you see that, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. At that time, uh, what's the time uh, that they're talking about? I think it's the stuff that's been happening before. And if you, if you read back uh, in chapter 17, some of the things that have been happening, three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, had been selected to go with Jesus up on a mountain. And they'd seen him changed. His glory had been revealed in the most dramatic ways. And, and they'd seen it. They'd got to be there. The rest of the disciples hadn't, and you wonder if there's been talk. Three of us. We were there. He selected us. I wonder if we are the sort of amongst the greatest. We're in on this. You wonder if there's been talk like that, which would be funny because while they were, they were up the mountain, uh, they'd heard God the Father speak audibly. Incredible thing. Doesn't happen very often 
in the Bible, but he had said about Jesus, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And then he'd given this instruction. Listen to him. Now if you're told to listen to someone, you understand what you're meant to do. You're meant to be wondering, what are they going to say? What's going to be coming from them? And if you, if you read on in chapter 17, Jesus starts to talk again about his saving death on the cross. The disciples didn't really understand at the time. But they were a bit worried and Matthew comments that the disciples were filled with grief. They're unsettled. But it's short-lived. And now they're back to talking about important things. Who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus does an odd thing. Did you notice? There's the disciples, the 12, and maybe others around, and there's a crowd. He does an odd thing. He calls a little child. You imagine there's some children standing on the edge of this group. They're in amongst it. You imagine those of you who are younger, you're there, and these kind of, those who are older are all talking, and suddenly Jesus pulls you out, gets you to stand in front of them all. And Jesus says this, verse 3, what he says to these people who are all older, unless you change and become like little children, you never enter the kingdom of heaven. It's good to keep noticing, isn't it? And the way Jesus seems to really love those who are younger. Uh, those notices them, includes them, it treats them with dignity and he even begins to say look if you're if you're going to understand what my kingdom is all about one of the things that will help you is to keep those who are younger in view now those of you in our Pathfinder age group, there might be some of you here this morning and you've only just started joining us in in our services like this look do, do remember that this is the way the Savior thinks about you, loves you, includes you. Do you remember that? Jesus notices you. And in a way, he's saying, look, there's something about the way he has made you at this stage of your life that he says is really precious. It's no accident we grow the way we do or you get to this stage of life. He's, he's designed it that way. And he says, there's something precious about it. And it's really helpful. Just who you are at this stage of life is really helpful in teaching the rest of us who are a bit older. But this initial incident kicks off the whole conversation that follows. It goes from verse one uh, right through to the end of uh, the chapter and you realize the impact of how it begins. The question was this, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus in effect says, don't worry about that. Because unless you change, you're not even going to get in. Imagine that. It's quite unsettling. They've asked who's the greatest and Jesus says, don't worry about that. Because you carry on like this, you, you won't even get into the kingdom. I don't know if you found that with Jesus. Sometimes you come with a question. I'd like to ask about this. And the way he answers you generates more questions. It's a little bit like that here. I mean, what, what does he mean become like little children? And you ask, well, who are the little children? 
Just for a moment, maybe with somebody sitting nearby, have a look at verse 6 and just talk with somebody nearby. Who's Jesus got in view as he talks about little ones and little children? So take a moment, look at verse 6 in the Bible in front of you and just have a brief chat with somebody nearby. Who are these little children? You've had, you've had a look at it. It's a short verse. But worth noticing, isn't it? Who, who's Jesus talking about? He is talking about little children. But he also says, this is going to be a picture of those who believe in me. He's talking about Christians. You, you hear what he's talking about. And what does it mean to be like little children? I think you probably think of it this way. He's not meaning act in that kind of that kind of bad childish way and the kind of childish way that grown-ups are still very, very capable of. Tantrums and being selfish are not restricted just to very young children, are they? You might do it in a more sophisticated way, but you're still very capable of having a tantrum and being selfish. But he, he's not meaning that. We, we kind of get that. And as we go through this chapter, you know, you you understand he's meaning to have a childlike approach that humbly trusts those who care for them. And they begin to view that care as a gift to be enjoyed, not an achievement to boast about or to use to compare yourself with others. So here as we, we get into this chapter that we'll look at over the coming weeks, as we begin, if you want to be great, here's a couple of things. Here's the first welcome Jesus humbly. Jesus says, look, you've asked about greatness in God's kingdom. Let's think, think about getting into God's kingdom. Getting in relies on coming to Jesus. And the ones who come to Jesus are the ones who change and become like little ones. The character trait that's coordinate with being in God's kingdom, being a disciple, being a Christian, it's humility, giving up any claim to be good enough on my own or better than you. Greatness will begin when you come to Jesus humbly like that or welcome him like that. Now, if you really welcome Jesus like this, what's the evidence? Clearly, there are certain things that you need to believe. Jesus says that in verse 6 when he calls little ones, those who believe in me. You can't make up just whatever kind of Jesus you want. There comes a point where you've got to say, this is what the Bible says about Jesus, and it's important that we believe that. You can't just make up something else. We might call that confessional evidence or doctrinal evidence. It's things to believe. Now, while that's true and really important 
There's another kind of evidence that I think Jesus is getting at here. We might call it character evidence. What's the evidence that we're people who humbly welcome Jesus? May I see verse 5? If you've got the Bible there in front of you, just have a look again at verse 5. Let's, let's note this. Jesus says this, And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So here's the two things as we begin. If you want to be great, look, start by welcoming Jesus humbly and humbly welcome others who believe in Jesus. Look, why would that follow? Well, because genuinely coming to Jesus requires us to abandon any status claims and to just humbly trust him. And that way of living, it is very different to the way lots of people in our world live. And if you've begun to live that way, you'll begin to see it in the way you welcome or show hospitality to others who belong to Jesus as well. There needs to be nothing else to them, no other achievements. Why are you welcome here? Why are you welcome? Is it because you've achieved some kind of status You've been to the right college, you've got the right career and that's going well. Is it because you've got your life together? Is that why you can hold your head up high when you come in here? Is it because you're pretty sorted? Is your mental health good? Is your, is your marriage fine all the time? Is it because you managed to get certain results in your exams? Is that why you, you should feel confident when you come here? Or is it because you look a certain way? No. It's none of those. It's because you belong to Jesus. That's all the status you need here. At church, I used to be part of in Sheffield, start of the year, they'd have lots of students and there'd be a welcome meal for new students. And we had lots of medics in that church. And I loved sitting with the new first year medics at the welcome meal because Towards the end of the meal, one of them would see something through the hatch into the kitchen and I'd hear them whispering like this, guys, is that Mr. Stanley in the kitchen? I think that's Mr. Stanley in the kitchen watching the, the, the dishes, washing the dishes. It's confusing, isn't it, seeing someone out of context. Um, someone I know very well was once in a, a John Lewis in a big shopping centre and they bumped, into, uh, they bumped into a lady that they knew. You know that feeling when you, you bump into somebody and you know you know them but you've forgotten their name and it's a bit embarrassing. And so um, this person I know just started chatting away to them, asking how they were doing, what was going on, they're doing all right, just trying to bluff it because they've forgotten their name. And they thought afterwards, it's a bit odd, they didn't really chat back to me. And then on the way home in the car, they realized why. It was because it was uh, Emma Thompson, uh, the actress. That's who they bumped into in the John Lewis, and that's the reason why they recognized them. But out of context, you, you realize that, don't you? You see someone out of context, and it throws you a bit. So that was just a little aside there. But back to the students. The, the reason they were thrown by seeing this person through the hatch is because most of them would have met Mr. Stanley in a different context. Uh, he is a senior consultant orthopedic surgeon and would have taught already many of them at the Sheffield Teaching Hospital. And you could almost hear 
the gears changing in their heads as they thought, look, someone who is significantly senior to me is now washing my dirty place. Why is he doing that? Why is that happening? And look, if you can understand that, you, you know as well, that, that happens for you all the time. Even as you come here on a Sunday, you, you think about it th this way. Um, do you know who hoovers up downstairs in the mornings before you get here? Uh, one of them, I, I won't embarrass them, one of them is a, is a man who regularly does it, who has set up and run his own successful business. And yet he comes here early on Sunday mornings often and will hoover up around here so it looks nice for when you get here. So why would he do that? And you might think, well, yeah, what? Why does somebody who in the week has got a busy job and successful, why, why is he hoovering up for me? I've, I've never even thought about doing that. It can throw you a bit. It's a real shock. Why would somebody up there end up serving somebody down here? Except it isn't a shock. For anybody who knows the gospel, not when you remember the one who was up there, really did come to serve those who were down here through his death on the cross. Six years ago, our family embarked on a new kind of life. The four of us became dog owners. There he is. What a majestic beast. Look at him in all his pride sitting there on the grass. We became dog owners and all that comes with it, the food, the basket, the chewing absolutely everything in our house when he was a puppy, weeing on the floor, all that kind of stuff that, that happened. Look, getting a dog, we guessed what it would be like. Because a dog is a certain kind of thing, life with a dog, a real dog, will always look a certain kind of way. We understand that. You, you understand that. And you get this as well. Look, for us, like dog owner... Dog owner isn't just a description of our belief in pets, if I can put that. When we're dog owners. We're not just saying we've got certain beliefs about pets. It's a marker of our identity. We're dog owners. That's who we are. And all that comes with it. Look, that's a silly thing. But if you can understand that, you should understand this too. Being called a Christian is not just a description of beliefs, if it's real. If it really is true for you, if it's real, it's an identity marker. It says something about who you are and the way you live. Because Jesus, because the good news about him is a certain kind of thing, life following Jesus, the real Jesus, it will always look a certain kind of way. Who is Jesus? What is he like? What kind of a thing is the good news about him? It's a glorious thing, isn't it? It is a, a glorious, it's a great thing. Do you keep this in mind? The almighty son of God. The one who is the delight of his father throughout eternity has come down for you, showing sinners like us extravagant forgiveness, humble, gracious, other person-centered love. He's done that. That's what he's like. That's what his good news is like. 
So it's no surprise, is it really, if you know him, to see a consultant orthopedic surgeon washing your dishes sometimes. Not if he knows this savior. It just begins to look like little ones welcoming another little one. It's quite a thought, isn't it? Even those of you who are older, that the Lord Jesus would talk this way about you. How do you think of yourself and all the mess that goes on at times to hear that he says, you're my little ones. And Jesus says, look, that starts, that way of living, that starts to look like being great. Do you think of greatness that way? Do you want to grow in that kind of greatness? I hope you do. And I think if you know Jesus at all, even as you hear that, you'll think, yeah, yeah, I do. I wish I was better at it. I really do want to grow that way. Now, where could you start? Gosh, lots of ways, isn't there? I imagine you can think of lots, but here's one. We've got some Pathfinders joining us in our service now. It would be odd if we've got some littler ones in us if at the end of today they didn't feel welcome. <laughs> that would be bad after a passage like this. So uh, you could start even there look, as, you, as you look around at some of those who are younger and those of us who are older say, can I get you a drink at the end of the service? I tell you what, let me go and see if there's any jammy dodgers. <laughs> and I'll get, I'll get two for you. Um, can I help you? Is there anything you need? Or just to say, it's brilliant to have you here. Be good when our pathfinders go out feeling, I feel really welcome. I love coming to my church family. You know, the way people talk to me. And look, it's not just with those who are younger, it's for anyone else. We have a welcome team on the door and they are brilliant at welcoming, but a big part of the welcome, it happens up here, doesn't it? When someone new arrives or somebody who, who doesn't know many people and, and you say, hey, come and sit beside me. We always want to be doing things that, that help people feel welcome and not pushed away. And watch out. You don't just welcome people you like or you find interesting or, or have things to share, things you think are great. Have a look for the people you normally tempted to overlook. And if you do that, you understand what Jesus is saying here. It's not just them that'll come and sit closer to you. Jesus says he will as well. Whoever welcomes one of these little ones in my name welcomes me and that's a thought isn't it in a way even though you can't see him the Lord Jesus is saying I will come and sit close beside you he's so kind we're going to stop there this morning do come back uh, in in the coming weeks as we think through this more but let's have a moment perhaps you want to just um Pray quietly to the Lord yourself. I'll ask the musicians to come back up so they're ready. But take a moment and just to talk to the Lord yourself.